Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. I've been looking forward to beginning this new series called Contacts, Accessing His Attributes here on Easter Sunday on Resurrection Day. We're going to continue it until the Lord really releases us from it. But leading up to it, we've been talking about all of the contacts that we have in our phones. We have hundreds and hundreds of them within our phones. I took out my phone last week sometime and I opened the, the, uh, the actual phone app and recent calls and I was checking. And within the last, I think it was like 18 or 19 days, there were approximately 90 phone calls that came in and out. So I tried to not count like the spam ones that you have no relationship with. And out of those 90 calls, there were only 13 different contacts that I had used. So 90 phone calls, and there were 13 people that I was actually close with that I made those, a lot of those phone calls to. What we've been talking about is you have hundreds and hundreds of contacts in your phone, yet we only use probably 15 to 20, maybe 25 of them on a regular basis to access uh, their friendships, their information, help when we have a time of need. And we, what we've been doing is comparing that to how we interact with God. In Scripture, there are over 950 either titles or names given to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet when we interact with God, we usually only use a very small portion of it. So we might only look to God as our provider. And if you only know God to be your provider, then you'll go to him just within that small context. But if you're sick, uh, maybe you won't know to go to him as your healer. Or maybe you look for him as your healer, but maybe you don't know that he's your savior. He's your creator. He's the great I am. There are so many different titles and names given to either the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Scripture. But what we want to do over these upcoming weeks starting today is unpack and focus on one title, one name, each of those every week. That might be God right there, actually. Um, we want to be able to unpack that because we want you to be able to experience God in a greater way. We don't want you to walk out of here with head knowledge, just head knowledge or, or knowledge of what the Scriptures say, but we want you to actually experience Christ, experience the Father God, experience Holy Spirit in a greater way according to that specific attribute. So I'm happy, I'm excited that you guys are here on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday. But this is my encouragement to you is if you don't usually attend a church, if you're not, you know, if you're from the area here, but you don't usually attend a local family, is to give God a chance. These next four weeks, uh, these next three weeks, even leading up to Mother's Day, it would give you four opportunities for God to speak to you through a different attribute, a different aspect of his nature and his character. And I believe that he's not going to fail you if you do that. If you just soften your heart to him, just say, God, speak to me through a different attribute, a different name, a different title each and every week. And I believe that he's going to do that. Amen? Amen. So what's in a name? We're talking about different names of God, uh, names of Jesus, names of the Holy Spirit in these upcoming weeks. When the ancient times, uh, names were given very high significance. So when a parent would name a child, what they were doing is they were choosing a name that would speak to the destiny of that child. So names had an identity. They had a meaning. So every time that parent would call out the name of that child, that identity of that name would, their hope, the expectation would be, is the identity of that name would become the identity of that child. They didn't take it lightly at all. In fact, a lot of times they would take a situation that had happened in their life leading up to having the child or a circumstance that when they've interacted with God and out of that circumstance, out of that situation, they would choose a name to name their child. And they believed, and even in Proverbs 18, 21, where it says the power of life and death are in the tongue. So they believe the power of declaring the name 
of that child, which had a meaning, which had attributes, which had, which had nature that they trusted their son or their daughter or their children would become. So for instance, for Sharice and I, we named our kids on purpose. We named our kids with purpose. So our oldest child, Isabella, uh, her name means consecrated or devoted to God. And we see in Isabella's life, she has a purity in her heart that demonstrates a consecration to God, a purity that we believe is going to carry her through her life in relationship with the Lord. Isaac, many of you know that the, uh, Isaac's our oldest son. Uh, his name means laughter or he laughs. That comes from the miraculous birth of Isaac from Abraham and Sarah. So Sharice and I, my wife and I, we believe he's going to bring not just laughter, but joy to many people's lives through salvation because he's going to follow the call of God that is upon his life. Levi, our second oldest son, means joined or tethered to God. So those of you who know Levi, he has a very strong knowledge of the word of God that keeps him tethered to God. And we believe that that's going to keep him joined to God all the days of his life so he can make an impact in other people's lives. Our youngest son's name is Samuel, which means heard uh, by God or called of God. Well, from a young age, Samuel, in a very nonchalant way, would say, yeah, God said something to me, and he was willing to share that with people. So he's heard the voice of God from a very young age, and we believe he'll make a significant impact uh, you know, in this world by hearing the voice of the Lord and then by delivering that message to the Lord. So names have meaning. There's a lot behind a name. For instance, I would not encourage you to name your child Jezebel doesn't really sound good. I wouldn't follow the example of what she did. Goliath, you know, big, tall guy in the Bible. Don't follow his ways. Don't name your child that. Nebuchadnezzar, it's a very long name, a lot of letters. Also, he's an evil king, so you don't want to name your child Nebuchadnezzar. Judas, not a good name for your child to be named. So there's good names. There's bad names. Names have meaning. So today what I want to do is unpack one title that Jesus gave himself, and that is the resurrection and the life. But before we get to that title that he named himself, that he gave himself, I want to go back before Jesus was ever born, where an angel actually told Joseph what to name this soon coming child. So it'll sound a little bit like a Christmas message for a little bit, and then we'll transition into Easter. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So from the very beginning, this angel saying, there's a specific name I want you to give to this young boy as soon as he's born. And that name is Jesus. Why should they name him Jesus? Well, the follow-up was his identity for what he was going to do. What did the angel say he was going to do? He's going to save people from their sins. Well, the name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. So from before Jesus was ever born, he's saying, give him the name that means the Lord saves. Now, what they knew is something that we don't often know. The way the angel was speaking to Joseph in that day, we look at it as Old Testament and New Testament. Joseph's looking at all of the prophets of old, uh, prophesying toward this Messiah who was going to save, the, save people from their sins. So when he says the word Jesus, to us it means the Lord saves. But what we don't know, in the Old Testament, the personal name for, between people and God, when they called upon God in a personal way, it was the name Yahweh. That was the personal name of God. When the angel tells Joseph, name your son Jesus, what Joseph hears is Yahweh is salvation. 
This is what Joseph here, we translate it as the Lord who saves, but he heard Yahweh, the personal name of God is salvation. And that's what Joseph and Mary were to name Jesus. Now for Jesus to ultimately be Yahweh is salvation or the Lord who saves, he has to be the resurrection and the life. There has to be a tie between this because without resurrection, without life, there is no salvation. Amen? Does this make sense? So Jesus was a common name back in scripture. There were many people named that. That's why you'll see in scripture, they call him Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's Jesus, the Lord who saves, Christ, the anointed one of God. So what they were doing, they were calling Jesus something different to show his significance from all of the others who were named that. So what I wanna do is jump from the beginning of his life when he was named Jesus, the one who saves, to now when he gives himself the title of the resurrection and the life, and then we'll end with it where he actually demonstrates this with his own body and soul. In John chapter 11, if you wanna turn there with me, this is an instance of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I know this is Easter, we're celebrating Jesus being raised from the dead, but I wanna talk through a situation where Lazarus, he had been dead for four days now. Now there was a belief in biblical times that when a person died, their spirit would hover over their body for three days. Now, it's not like they saw a lot of earthly, like human resurrections at that time, but there was a belief that if there was to be a resurrection, it had to happen within these three days because their spirit hovered. So after that third day, they believed that the spirit left the area of the body and then went into their eternal resting place. So now Jesus knows Lazarus died, Lazarus died, but he waited and he waited and he waited. Now on the fourth day, he makes his way to the tomb, knowing that they would think it was completely impossible for a miracle to happen at this time. So he's coming, this is in John chapter 11. So in verse 23, Jesus is approaching the tomb. Martha comes out to to greet him, asks why he waited, why didn't he come sooner? And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, when, she's, when he says this, she's thinking, yeah, of course, at the end of time, you know, when this is all said and done at the final judgment, he's gonna rise again. And she responds, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at that last day. Talking about the last day judgment. Well, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's a very bold statement. It says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she said, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Now, we use these scriptures at funerals, and rightfully so, because Jesus was giving quite an amazing revelation here. He's saying, Anybody who believes in me, so anybody in their heart that believes that I'm the resurrection and I'm the life, anyone who believes that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the anointed one, that I'm the one, that the Lord who saves, that even though they die, they will live. So what he's doing is comparing a spiritual reality to a natural reality. He's saying, even though our flesh and bones will give out on us unless he returns first, eventually there'll be a day where our heart stops beating and our lungs stop breathing and our bodies fail us. But he's saying, if you believe in me, in fact, anyone who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. So he's saying, anybody who's living in me, 
talking spiritually. Your heart is connected to me. You've surrendered your life to me. Anybody who's living in that fashion, spiritually speaking, will never die. So he's giving this revelation to to Martha in this moment. And she's thinking end times, end times, end times. Yeah, he's about to do something amazing that was right here and now. See, a lot of people think when he's talking about resurrection and life, he's only talking about after we die, physically speaking, because they think that eternal life begins at the moment of your death. But eternal life begins the moment you say yes to Jesus. That's why we can have an assurance that no matter what else we go through in life, this is just, we're just passing through. So our last breath on this side of eternity just simply becomes our first breath on the other side of eternity. If you're waiting for your eternal life to begin and Jesus is your savior, you're going to be miserable through life. You're going to limp all the way through and just hope and this is over soon. And you're gonna come falling into his arms at the end of all this instead of running joyfully into his arms. There's a big difference. If you believe I've said yes to Jesus, he's my Lord and my savior, he's my resurrection and my life, my eternal life begins right now. So now I can have the joy of the Lord. I can have the hope of salvation. I can have the hope of a resurrected body before I ever receive it. Do you guys see the difference? Yes. Are you awake? Say hello. Thank you. All right. So what I love, what Jesus is doing, he's making this claim on the resurrection and the life. She's like, I believe that's going to happen all the way there. He starts talking about eternal life. And then he grabs this thing and he pulls it from the future into the present day reality. And he does it by resurrecting Lazarus. So Jesus responded, don't, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? He's not talking about a far off distant land anymore. He's saying, if you believe, you'll see it right now. So they rolled it. So, um, so they rolled the stone aside. Jesus, then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. I always enjoy that verse because he's like, you and I, we're like really in, you know, we have a close relationship, but I'm going to say it out loud so all these people know what's about to happen. He's like, I know you always hear me. I'm just doing it for example. So then Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Now listen, I want you to see both of the aspects of the meaning in these verses. Like, yes, there will be a final judgment. Yes, you will be found either innocent and forgiven of all your sins, or you'll be found guilty of all your sins. There's not going to be an in-between place. Does this make sense, guys? There's not like you did a really good job and tried really hard, so I'll forgive 80% of your sins. It's all or it's nothing. And the Lord wants you to know where you stand. There should never be any confusion in your heart whether your eternal life has already begun or not. The only determining factor is not how good you've done, how hard you've tried, how many good works you've done. The determining factor is if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, making him your Lord and your Savior. It happened because of the cross, because of the blood on the cross, and it happened because of his resurrection. That's the only way that we know that we're right with God. 
So there will be a final judgment. But Jesus here in this instant is proving to have resurrection life in the here and the now. He's bringing life back to someone who died. I want you to see even following this miracle, the religious officials who were called the Pharisees, they started to plan to kill him. What they see, they see these miracles happening and they see the following starting to gather and what they start talking to each other and they're saying, listen, if this gathering gets too big and his following gets too strong and he continues to do this, the Roman government's going to think he's going to try to overthrow them and they're gonna come and destroy us all. So they're face to face with Jesus's miracles. They're face to face with the claims that he's the resurrection and the life. And they have two choices. They can either accept him and begin to follow them himself or they can deny him and try to get rid of him. And you know, Jesus is in, a, in, in that fashion in our own lives. He puts himself right before us. We read a scripture, we hear a song, we hear a message, and Jesus' miracles and claims about himself are right before our face. And we have two choices. Are we going to accept him and begin to follow him? Or are we going to deny him and try everything we can to get rid of him? It's a choice that every single one of us has to make. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. That word resurrection simply means to change the change of state from being dead to alive, to come back to life after once being, uh, after once dying. And the word life means the condition of living or the state of being alive. But I like this, even in this biblical context, it goes on, it's not just being alive. It's, it's having health, happiness, exuberance, energy, vitality, and the like. This means that the Lord is in the business, not just in the future, but right now in your life to take things that seem to be dead and resurrecting them back to life. He's also in the business of producing brand new life that you've never experienced before. This isn't just eternal life. Your decision for your eternal life is the most important decision you'll ever make. But Jesus also says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he's come to give us life now and life more abundantly. So that's where he's talking, the exuberance, the joy, the happiness, the excitement, the energy. Those are the things he wants us to have right now. This is all practice for heaven. It's all an experience he wants us to enjoy now so we can come to him with open arms at the end of time. There's more to this statement though. I want you to see there's a big difference between Jesus saying, I resurrect and I bring life compared to I am the resurrection and the life. One would be he's a good prophet that does good things and he can bring resurrection, he can bring life every once in a while if he's in the mood, if it's his will in that situation. And one is saying, the other one's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. It's who I am. It's not just something I do. The very being that I am, the nature, the attribute, the, everything that I am, the character of who I am brings forth the resurrection and the life. So now we don't have to approach Jesus as a good prophet and a good man saying, is it your will? Are you in a good mood today? Are you willing to do this? We don't have to do that. We don't have to wonder if he is or not. When we come to Jesus in relationship. We pour out our heart to him. We soften our heart to him. He automatically brings resurrection and life because it's who he is. Does this make sense? Yeah. It's in his very nature to do the things that he is by his titles and his name. So back in verse 23, 
I went back and I read some of these verses through the lenses of I am the resurrection and the life, meaning eternally and right now. And I read the verse 23 when Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. I'm thinking, wait a minute. If he, see, if this was just a one-time deal, then I could think it was just applicable to Lazarus. But because it's in his nature, you can replace your brother and make this applicable to yourself. And you can say, my career will rise again because you are the resurrection and the life. My finances will rise again because you are the resurrection and the life. My relationships will be restored because you are the resurrection and the life. My hope will be restored because you are the resurrection and the life. Are you following how you can apply this across the board? Because it wasn't just an action that Jesus took. It's who Jesus is. So we want to take this attribute and behold him in view of that character, in view of that attribute, in view of his nature, and we can apply it to our lives. I want to do that right now. I want to share four brief testimonies that uh, I've recently heard from people in our church and praying about things is a little bit different than what we would usually do on an Easter Sunday, but I want to take time and then we'll close uh, after. But I want to take time now to talk about four specific areas that I believe Jesus wants to resurrect in our life this morning, like right now as we pray. I believe he's going to do something. I believe we'll see the fruit of it immediately and then in the weeks and the months to come. The first is jobs and careers. Someone from our church uh, a man from our church that we're close with has been out of work for seven months. What I love about this is he has diligently sought work. He went on interviews. And what I love about it most is that he came into the church sometimes for the entire week, every single day, and he volunteered and he volunteered and he volunteered. And what he did while he was out of work and unemployed is he was productive. He didn't just sit and say, well, God, it's just up to you. He said, God, I'm going to be faithful with the time that you've given me. He even said that he shared precious time with his family that he's not able to do while he was working. So he made active use of his time. And after about seven and a half months, he texted me, I think it was within the last week, and showed me the letter of acceptance that he was finally hired. And he told me, actually, the day that he starts will be eight months to the day that he didn't have a job. But what I, want to, what I want to show you is this. In Scripture, in Revelation, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It could be a confusing term, but what it means is when you're testifying about what Jesus has done, the full gospel or a specific situation, it prophesies or it foretells what he can do in your life. So the statement you can say is, if God did that for them, he can surely do it for me because he's the resurrection and the life. He wasn't, he didn't say I'm the resurrection and the life for Lazarus. So when you see the activity of God in somebody else's life, instead of getting jealous, instead of feeling left out, instead of saying, well, how in the world did God give him a job and I've been out of a job for nine months and he's only seven. Stop it. Stop it. Say, I see the activity of God in somebody else's life and if you can do it for him, you can do it for me. So I believe there are people that are unemployed right now or so frustrated in their career, they just want out. You've tried your best, you're being productive, and it's not working, you want out. And I believe the Lord is going to open doors of favor for jobs, new jobs, and better jobs. It's the first situation. Second are dreams. 
There are people in this room, no matter what age you are, you're thinking life didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. You could be 75 years old. You could be 17 years old and have the same thing. And what the Lord does is he plants dreams in our heart. He plants ideas of how, what we're gonna do when we grow up and how we're gonna parent and where we're gonna go on vacation. Like all these things, all these dreams, right? Superheroes, we put capes on, we fly around the house. By the time we get up and we're paying bills and things and so on, we let these pressures of life enter us. And the dreams that have been placed in our life, what happens is the devil actually uses them as a tool of discouragement against you. So this dream that's in your heart, you're supposed to use it as a hope and a promise that tethers you to the Father. And the devil says, it hasn't happened yet. It's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. Look at you. You're still in the same place. You're even worse off than where you were. And the devil tries to use a God-given gift as something to tear apart your, your, the encouragement that you had in your life. I was reminded thinking about this today that the Lord, he wants to resurrect dreams. He wants to resurrect things in your life that you think are dead. They're just buried deep below the surface. There's a lady in our church in 2006, the Lord gave her a vision and a dream of a massive entertainment center. And for the next 10 years, she worked on it on and off. I know that there were seasons of discouragement. She felt like this thing was dead. It's not gonna go anywhere, but she kept working. And then out of nowhere, about two years ago, doors of favor just started opening up meetings, buildings, uh, some, some hope of finances. And this dream is like resurrected right before her eyes. It's something, you know, it might, it might not be something of a career for you. It could be anything that you feel like you once had hope in and now is lost. You could say, listen, Lord, if you can do it for her, you can do it for me. You can give me hope in where I once had hope that I feel like it's lost. The third area is Relationships. There are probably some of you sitting here today thinking, I have to go to lunch or I have to go to dinner. I'm gonna be around somebody that I'm in a broken relationship with, that there's tension between. Or maybe you, have, maybe you have a broken relationship with a coworker, a family member that you won't see, maybe a good friend in your neighborhood. And again, we don't have to, we don't have to wonder what the Lord's will is here. He's the resurrection and the life. His will is for relationships to be restored. You are one person, you're called to live at peace with people for as much as it depends on you. But you can also take that step toward them and pray that the Lord would soften their hearts. So just, I think it was two or three Sundays ago, we heard of a young lady share a testimony. She was with a gentleman for 14 years, married for the last three years. They went through several seasons of difficulty, stress, strife. They were separated several times. She came to know the Lord. She dedicated a space within her house to go to war for her marriage. So she prayed and she pressed in and we got to celebrate with her. She told her testimony on that Sunday night at annual highlights of how her marriage is restored and stronger than ever before. And I want you to say to yourself, if the Lord can do that for her, then he can do that for me. He could do that for me. The last situation I'm gonna pray about in just a moment is addictions habits of sin or patterns of life that you feel like just keep tripping you up and tripping you up. Last week, and I, and I did receive permission from each of these individuals to share these things. I'm not sharing their names. They could share uh, a more thorough testimony at a later time. But just last week at the men's retreat, we were able to hear a testimony from one of the, the men in our church who struggled with alcoholism since 2006. He lost a lot in his life. He had a near-death experience 
and through times of struggle and try, times of just being, trying to be set free, back in 2013, the Lord delivered him from alcoholism. The best though is he just texted me yesterday when I was asking for permission and he said that, that Monday, tomorrow, will be six years to the day when he took his last drink. So he's celebrating an awesome anniversary, absolutely. But when you think about from 2006 to 2013, that could seem like a long time. Addiction is not, not something that a lot of us just don't even understand or can't grasp. But I want you, if you are caught in a sinful habit, a pattern in your life that you feel like is chipping you up, or an addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, I want you to say in your heart at this moment, if the Lord can do it for him, he can do it for me. The Lord is more than able because he is the resurrection and the life. Amen? So we're going to take this as a holy moment. And I'm going to ask you in all humility, if any of these four categories relate to where you are, you're not going to have to admit it to somebody what it is. But if it has anything to do with a job or a career that is needed or desired, if it has anything uh, to do with a dream that you feel like is lost, a relationship that is broken, or an addiction or a pattern in your life that you want broken, I just want you to stand at this time and we're going to pray for you. And what I want you to do, whether you know them or not, we're a church family because you're in this room together. So what I want you to do is find somebody uh, that, has, that is standing up. You're not going to ask them any questions, not sharing personal information. I just want you to lay your hand on their shoulder lightly. And I'm going to pray, and then you can pray along with me. We're going to treat this as a holy moment where we believe the resurrection and the life himself, Jesus, is going to do something significant in these following minutes. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment and we declare that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is in the business of bringing things that seem dead back to life and he is in the business of bringing new life where things are yet to exist. We believe his word to be true. We believe his statement to be true. And now God, out of that truth and that reality, we come to you with humble hearts and we ask Holy Spirit to move, move, move. Blow upon this place and upon those who stood up in humility. Blow across this room, Lord, and bring answers to prayers. Bring breakthrough where there's bondage. And Father, we ask first and foremost, God, for jobs, new jobs, and better jobs. We speak forth favor for those who are in positions to hire. We speak forth open doors now in Jesus' name to have jobs and careers and opportunities that will be fulfilling and fruitful for these individuals. God, that will bring forth finances that will provide for themselves. And if they have a family, more than enough for their family, that they would be able to give to those who are in need. You're allowed to pray along with me, by the way. 
Father, we ask, God, that for these, these people who have, have bills piling up and who have debt piling up that have been waiting, we pray, even, God, tomorrow into the next day and the next day, that employers will call. They'll say, we've seen your resume. We saw you on, online and social media, and we want you to come work for us. We call for those doors of favor to be open now by the resurrection and the life in the name of Jesus. And Father, right now we call dreams that appear to be dead back to life in Jesus' name. We call hope and encouragement back into the hearts of those who have been discouraged and let down. Father, we ask that you would take by the mighty hand of the Lord God and you would begin to remove the dirt and the junk and the weeds that cover these dreams that have been buried possibly years ago. And we call it back to life. We call it back to a place of encouragement. And Lord, we believe that if you gave them that dream, it will come to pass by the mighty name of Jesus. You will not fail us, Lord. You are the resurrection and you are the life and you are the God who gives dreams and brings dreams to a place of fulfillment. So we call them back to life, never to die again in Jesus' name. And Father, right now we ask that you would bring forgiveness into the hearts of people who are broken in relationship. Remove bitterness, remove anger, remove confusion, remove misunderstanding, remove unforgiveness. Remove that brokenness from the heart, Lord Jesus. Remove scars from abuse. Remove fear from the ones who used to yell and misuse us. And God, we ask that you would soften the hearts of those who want to be restored, that you would produce miracles in their life today, Lord. Maybe even at lunch and dinner today, there would be a hug and embrace, a word of forgiveness, a word of peace being offered, Lord Jesus. Do it, Lord. And Father, we pray for the other person on the other side that you would soften their heart that you would allow them to be willing to be restored and reconciled. We ask that, Lord, because you're the resurrection and you're the life and you'll breathe life into their soul and into their heart, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. And Father, we, we, we end by praying for addictions, habits, patterns of sin, hangups, vices in life to be broken now in Jesus' name. Father, that you would break the chain open, that they would feel freedom in their soul like they never have before. Father, we're asking for a sovereign move of God. We admit we can't do this on our own. They can't do it in their own power, but you love them. Like I prayed in the first service, I pray that you would bring them back to the first time they used, the first time they looked at that website, the first time they treated somebody the way they did and show them that your blood is enough to forgive that. Show them that that's not who they are. That's not the real them. That's not their real identity. That you've called them to be a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of the most high king. That's their true identity. Father, show them that they're just believing a lie 
They're believing a lie about where they're supposed to be stuck in life and bring them to a place of freedom, bring them to a place of liberty and victory over this thing in their life. And God, I also pray for the wisdom and the courage to manage our freedom. The wisdom of how to wake up tomorrow and fill ourselves with something that's productive and not destructive. Give us the courage to make life choices, to change friends for a season, to change the path that we're on, God, so that we can fulfill the calling and the purpose that you've placed on our life. We declare once and for all, you are the resurrection and the life, and you are bringing things back from the dead, and you are giving new life where it once wasn't. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You could be seated just for a few more minutes. <clears throat> so for the last three minutes of my sermon, it will actually feel like Easter. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I love it. I love how Jesus, he declares on the resurrection of life. And then he demonstrates it on someone else so we know it could be used for us. And then he actually experiences it himself. So if there's any doubt in your mind that what he said wasn't true, he did it for someone else, and then he did it himself through the power of the Holy Spirit to give evidence he is the resurrection and the life. In Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1, it says, Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. <clears throat> so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He says, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. I love this. What the devil thought was a blow to the kingdom of light and a victory for the kingdom of darkness was completely and grossly underestimated. What he thought was a victory and the king of the Jews was finally done simply gave Jesus enough time to rip the keys of dominion out of the hands of Satan to once again hand them back to mankind where it originally was. What the devil thought was a done deal so surprised on Sunday morning, so surprised at the resurrection and knew that his destiny was in hand now. And he knew the end had come for him. And now it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time for us to use the authority that we've been given and for God to sovereignly send Jesus to return back to earth, to catch us up, to find us to be faithful ones, to be able to say, well done, my good and faithful son or daughter. Welcome into my kingdom. I want you to see two different elements here. That there was the death on the cross, but there was also the resurrection. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and the lamb that was slain. All of these titles point to the cross, the death, the sacrifice, and the blood being shed. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this is one aspect. We're free. We're free from the penalty of the law and forgiven of sin. 
But without the resurrection on Sunday morning, there's no victory over death. Do you see how there has to be both? On one, there's the forgiveness of sin, the freedom from the penalty of law. But when Jesus, I, I, still, I think about this whenever this is coming up, when we talk about how we have the same spirit in us, think about Jesus laying there lifeless. Like there had to be that one moment where And the heart starts beating and the blood starts flowing and Jesus' eyes pop open and he sits up and the earthquake happens and the angels are sitting there and the, the, the tomb busts open. I mean, that took place. This is real. And it was to bring us not just forgiveness of sins, but victory over death. It was the final blow to death. It was the victory that we have. So we know we can experience eternal life with him. We go all the way back to the tomb of Lazarus and then oh, it makes a lot of sense. Even though we'll die, we'll never die. Even though our bodies will fail us, we will live forever. I wanna share with you just a few verses and then we're gonna close of both of these, the sins and the victory over death being compared to in Romans 6, 6. It's not on the screen. Maybe just close your eyes and listen. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So what that means, it says when we died with Christ, that means when we surrender our life to Christ, we are dying to our old nature because all of our sins were on Jesus when he died on that cross. That's how we died with him. Verse eight, it says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and be alive to God through Christ Jesus. Why don't you stand at this time? <clears throat> so this is what we call salvation. This is what we call eternal life, is to know in our hearts that we have both the forgiveness of sins that comes with freedom from the penalty of the law, and then we also have, we also have victory over death, spiritual death. Together, those together are salvation and eternal life. The only way that you can know that for sure is if you know there's a moment in your life that you've surrendered your heart to him. You're saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't like the old me. I want the new me, the me that you created me to be. That's surrendering your heart. That's saying, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be sinful. I want to be renewed. I want to start over with Jesus. And when you surrender your heart to Christ, it's a decision that is meant to last the rest of your life. I don't ever want to hear, hey, I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago, but I'm living like I always used to the rest of the time. When you surrender your heart to him and he becomes your Lord and your savior, Lord means master, which means you follow him all the days of your life. So if you're in a place in your life where you know you've never made that decision to start following him, and you want to do that today, I wanna to give you that opportunity. And also, if you know you've made a decision for him, but today, 
This day you could say, I'm not currently on the same path Jesus is on. Somehow I've stepped on to another path. You can very easily, by an act of your own will, step back onto that path and choose to follow him once again. So why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Before we close, I just wanna give that opportunity. If you've never given your life to Jesus, surrendered your heart to him for the very first time, if you've never done that and you want to do that, or if you know you have in the past and you just, you've gotten off path and you want to repent of that and come back onto that path, if either of those are you, I want you just to look up at me. I want you to raise your hand at me so I can acknowledge you. We'll pray and then we'll close. If you wanna make that decision for the very first time, I see that hand in the back. Thank you so much. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. Anyone else? I see your hand over here. Thank you very much. I see your hand, sir, right here. Yes, you can put your hand down. I see you, ma'am. I'm proud of you. That's good. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else want for the very first time or over again? I see you, sweetie. Thank you. I believe you. Anyone else? Very first time. I see you in the back, honey. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, so you can look up at me. Let's make it awkward just for a moment, and then we're going to say a prayer. What we do in our church, the Bible says that the angels rejoice in heaven when a sinner turns back to the Father and turns. So I don't want to miss out on a party. So we're going to celebrate for a moment your decision, then we're going to say a prayer. Can we do that together? Let's do it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the decisions today. We say hallelujah. Praise be to God that you are honored through salvation or the repentance and the turning back to you. We honor you, Lord. We honor you and you alone. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God. This is what I want you to do. I want you to pray this with me. If you raised your hand, then we're gonna give you an opportunity to connect with someone at the end of service. If you didn't raise your hand, just pray this along with them. God, today I confess that I've sinned against you and that I need a savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and that he was raised from the dead so that I could have new life. I choose to die to my sinful and selfish ways and follow Jesus as he transforms me into God's image that I was created for. So I now surrender my life to Jesus, making him my Lord. And I receive Jesus as my savior. I believe I am now a child of God, a new creation, born again spiritually into the eternal kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So I'm going to do, I'm just going to pray and bless you guys. You can go on your way. If you raised your hand, whether it was first time or recommitment, we're going to have altar team down here, pastors, elders, spouses, uh, and altar workers, just come down. We would encourage you to come down. We just want you, uh, we want to exchange information so we can help you. We want to give you some core resources. Father, we just ask, for your blessing and your favor to be upon us. We ask, Father, that we would have a greater realization 
and a greater experience with Jesus, the resurrection and the life, like never before. Let us celebrate you in a new and an exciting way. We thank you again, Jesus, for being alive and well. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.